Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, I love weddings, and uh, I've had the uh, privilege, the opportunity to officiate a handful of weddings, and um, it's, there's, there's nothing quite pressure like doing a wedding, officiating a wedding. You know that when you preach, I get five cracks at it, you know, if I, so if I mess up, that's okay, at least I got the next service, or if I mess up, you know, at least we can fix that in editing, but in a wedding, like the officiant is kind of like the only one doing most of the talking and the thing, and, and it's being recorded, and it's not really going to be edited from there, and there's, you don't get another take. Hopefully, that's the only time you're marrying these two people off, and uh, so that's your only chance. And not only that, is it, it's being set into the memory of everyone there. They're just like paying attention, and it's being recorded in the memory, so there's, there's pressure uh, in officiating a wedding as much as I love weddings. But I've had some things happen at weddings. Uh, I did a wedding where uh, the best man, who was one of my best friends, uh, forgot the ring. And uh, I thought that was a joke. Uh, so that only made matters worse when it was like, really, he did forget the ring. And uh, seems like there's been a pattern with rings. So there was a, another wedding I was uh, doing for a friend of mine. And uh, we were getting to the vows, and when it came to the point where I asked for the rings, which you don't realize how big the ring is in part of a ceremony till you don't have one, and you don't realize how much you just keep talking about the ring and bringing it back up until you don't have a ring. But in this case, I asked for the ring, and the, the groom had the rings, and he reached into his pocket, and he handed me the the ring, but then he, he put his hand back in his pocket really quick to straighten out his pocket. But I thought he was like going to get another thing to hand me or something, or maybe there was another ring. And so he hands me the ring, and as he's reaching into his pocket, I was kind of threw me, and I said, is that it? <laughs> and what you don't need when you're the groom at a wedding in front of your family and friends and you present the ring to the wife, you don't need some goofball up there saying, is that it? And he said, what do you mean is that it? What are you talking about? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, what, it's a lot. Like, thanks a lot. Like, it's not, what do you mean is that it? And uh, today and next week, we're going to talk about marriage. Um, next week, let me just tell you what we're doing in these two weeks. Next week is going to be incredibly uh, practical and we're going to get real, and we're going to get real honest and talk about how to, uh, how, how do you resolve conflict in a, mar- in a marriage? How do you have an argument? Uh, what do you do when it's gone south? What do you do when it seems like whenever you have a disagreement, you can't seem to resolve it appropriately? How are you going to fight for your marriage in those moments that it's tough? But today, um, I, I want to set up why marriage is worth fighting for. You know, Nehemiah, we've been using that theme verse where he's saying, come on, it's time to fight for your families, your homes, your marriages, your kids. And uh, we've just, even though that was a context of physically fighting a battle, we've wanted to find that kind of intensity in our lives where our family, it's under attack 
uh, from the enemy, from the world, even from within. And we've got to have some intensity about fighting for our families. Uh, but today, I want, to, I want to talk about why it's worth fighting for. So today isn't really going to be that practical. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of like uh, a to-do or something that can transform those fights out of this. It's just going to be framing our mind around why God gave us marriage. Because if we don't have the why, all of the other, the, the what and how that I'm going to give you isn't going to take root. Um, but I want to give you the why. Why did God create marriage today? Now, not everybody, did you know this? Not everybody's supposed to be married. God said in his word that we have different gifts uh, from him. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that uh, to some he's given the gift of marriage and to some he's given the gift of singleness. How do you know if you have the gift of singleness? Uh, well, if you have any, any desire to be married someday, that's the telltale sign you don't have the gift of singleness. If you say, really, I would like to be married someday, I'd like to have a husband, I'd like to have a wife, um, then you don't have the gift of singleness. The gift of singleness, when God gives it, uh, means that just you're content, you're happy, perfectly happy uh, to live the rest of your life not married. It's just the, it's a gift of singleness. And whether, but whether you've been married or you've been divorced or you're separated or widowed, you are or currently married. Regardless of what state you're in, the next verse applies to all of us. Hebrews thirteen four says, marriage should be honored by all. Would you circle that in your outline? Honored by all, honored by everyone, no matter who you are, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And sadly today, marriage is not honored by all. It's, it's seen as archaic by some, like who, who needs to get married, you know? That's something maybe for another time or another generation. It's demeaned by many people. Uh, they'll, they'll even just give these jabs at people who are getting married, like, well, there goes your career, or there goes your life, or there goes all the fun. Uh, marriage is delayed by more and more people. People are just delaying marriage more and more, uh, many times for the wrong reasons. I'm not saying there isn't a, a right reason to uh, delay getting married a little bit, but um, that many are delaying it for the wrong reasons. Marriage is being redefined. It's being ridiculed. It's being disrespective or disrespected. And even Christians will fall for this trap. Even Christians are we're just getting off on, on why God created marriage. And so part of the problem is not many people know, they just don't know the reasons why there is marriage and we're spending maybe too much time talking about how to have a successful marriage or how to or you were writing about and thinking about how to survive marriage and what to do in marriage and we've forgotten to talk about why marriage exists what the meaning of it is in the first place and God gave us marriage for a reason and a lot of people don't know why or why marriage matters and we end up with a really unrealistic view of marriage that there's no way anyone could measure up to it. Like a lot of people think, and if you've been married for a while, you'll laugh at this with me. A lot of people think that marriage is going to solve their problems. Yeah, all the married people aren't trying to laugh too hard right now because that's just ridiculous. Marriage isn't going to solve all my problems. No, uh, but a lot of people think marriage creates problems. That if I get married, I'm going to have a lot more problems 
in my life. And marriage doesn't solve problems. Marriage doesn't create problems. Marriage reveals problems. If I'm cranky, marriage will reveal it. If I'm a perfectionist, marriage will reveal it. If I'm fearful or insecure, if I'm controlling or manipulative, if I'm lustful, my marriage will reveal it. Marriage doesn't create problems. Marriage doesn't solve problems. Marriage simply magnifies what's already there. And it reveals it. And uh, if you've already got a problem, maybe it's masked uh, by being a single adult. You can mask a lot of problems that way. Um, But marriage is just going to bring them to the surface. There are a lot of things marriage cannot do, but it does have a designed function. And there is a purpose that's being fulfilled in marriage. When we look at the designer and the builder of marriage. Look at this verse with me. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. Psalm 127.1. It says, read this out loud with me. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now cross out the word house and put marriage. Because unless the Lord builds the marriage, the builders labor in vain. Unless we let God be part of our marriage, we build in vain. And so many marriages set out from the outset like they even write their vows and it's amazing if you're if you've gone to many weddings lately how many people are leaving God out of the vows and I hear that and I'm like you think you're really something don't you like you think you have the power to do this but if God ain't a part of it you can't do it we're not that strong we're not that special unless the Lord builds the marriage the builders labor in vain so let's look at why why God wants to be a part of build, designing and building the house that is marriage. If you're taking notes, let's look at why God designed marriage. For, number one, God created marriage for the connection of men and women. In God's plan, men and women need each other. And more and more people do not believe this. A lot of women say, uh, why do I need a man? And a lot of men say, why do I need a woman? Well, you do. Why? Because nobody holds the full image of God. Men get part of it. Women get part of it. And we need each other. God wired it this way. God designed and thought up gender. God designed and thought up sex. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Just tonight in worship, just take a little praise break during one of the songs and thank him for what he has created and what he is doing and what he's designed for us. God wired it this way. It was not man-made. It's not man-made. And sometimes we think God is coming down and he's trying to oppress sex and he's trying to, trying to limit us and, do, and just have something in the back of our mind that this, this just isn't right. When really God's message to us is says, put that fire in the fireplace in its context and let's actually ramp it up a little bit. Like let's get going a little bit. God designed it that way. The Bible goes back to the very beginning uh, in the creation. The first couple, the first marriage, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. 
Some translations are going to say a, a companion. And the first thing you need to realize there is that marriage, gender, sex, men, women, all these differences is a God-given thing. And we see one of the purposes of marriage is an antidote to loneliness. That, that many companions are important in life and you need companions in all different areas. But there is nothing like the companionship of marriage. Mark 10, 6 through 9, Jesus speaking, he says, But at the beginning of creation, God, quote, made them male and female. God made males, God made females. He, he chose what he wanted them to be. He made that choice. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. It's like if you were to scramble two eggs together, you could never go back and put, the, you'd never find what parts go to that yolk and that shell and this go and that. They're scrambled together. They're, they're one thing now. God sees a, a married couple as one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And that passage uh, that passage says three things. Jesus is saying three things. One, that marriage is God's plan. So it's not a human plan. Humans did not invent marriage. It's not a tradition that we just throw out or something like that. God invented it. When he invented you and me, he invented uh, humanity. He invented marriage as part of his plan. The second thing Jesus is saying is that marriage is between a man and a woman. That there are a lot of other relationships, but those aren't marriage. That marriage is fulfilled with one man, one woman. The third thing it says is that marriage is to be permanent. And, and not that, like, we're just supposed, not only that we're supposed to treat it as though it's permanent, but he's saying, like, no, that's just, what, no matter what you decide, that's what it is. That two became one. That's what happens. Do you realize how radical this teaching from Jesus has become? That marriage is God's idea, that it's for a man and a woman, that it should be permanent. The, the, the first thing about marriage is that God created it and he created it for the connection of, for men and women. Now the second reason God created marriage is for the multiplication of the human race. It's how we all got here. Like you're sitting where you're sitting because two people got together and made you. Whose idea was that? That was God's. Let, let me give you a little background on this. The Bible says that God is love. It's his character, it's his nature, it's who he is. And the only reason that there's love in existence and in the universe, the only reason that there's love in creation is because God is a loving God. No love in God, there's no love in creation. The only reason you're able to love is because God made you as a man, as a woman, you were made in God's image, and God said, I want to love and express my love. That's why we exist. You know, we, we sometimes wonder, does God love me? Friend, if God, didn't, if God didn't love you, you wouldn't be here. God created you to love you. So he created the universe, so he could, could, could create the human race, so he could express his love knowing that some of us would choose to love him back. And then we would live with him forever in heaven. Now think about this with me. God chose everybody who's going to be in heaven to come into existence through marriage, through sex. That's the way he chose. 
nobody would be in heaven. There's no one in heaven that did not come through a relationship between a man and a woman. That's who will populate heaven. It's people that were born, conceived, through one man, through one woman. And everyone is coming to creation through the tool that he has designed. Look at this in Genesis 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So males don't have all of the image of God, nor do females. We both get parts of God's image. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And now there are 7.5 billion of us on the planet right now because your parents and their 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 parents were fruitful and multiplied And the point is that God says one of the purposes of marriage is for the multiplication of the human race, which will multiply the population of heaven. It's not the only purpose, but it's a big one. And this next one just dovetails right with this. Number three, that God created marriage for the protection of these children. Look at this verse with me, Malachi 2.15. I love this in the message paraphrase. It says, God, not you, made marriage... His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want for marriage? Godly children from your union. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Now this is not an indictment on uh, childless couples, couples who do not have kids. Uh, There are couples who can't have kids or for whatever reason uh, have not been able to have kids. If you're married and do not have kids, God is not disappointed in you. That's not what this verse is saying. But what it is saying is that we're alive because a couple got together. And for thousands of years, God has used men and women to populate the earth, to populate heaven. And if men and women weren't getting together, marrying and having sex, there there would be nobody in heaven. And God wants it done in the context of marriage for the protection of children. Because we all know that kids grow, bre- grow better, healthier, stronger when they grow in a stable family. When they grow in a marriage with a mom and a dad. And, and I, had st- I actually had the summary of 150 uh, different studies that all culminates in that and shows that. And I, I just cut that out because w- we all know that. We all, I don't have to go through a whole list of reasons why. We know that God created marriage for the protection of children because when we were born, we're completely helpless. We cannot do anything. We're literally totally helpless. And in the family is when we are best helped, best protected. And we know that when we're born, we need someone to protect us, to guide us, to train us, to care for us and all these things. And every single study has just proven that kids develop best with a mom and a dad. But we're on a broken planet. And not everything works right. But that doesn't mean that the ideal isn't real. It is. And children, they thrive in in families, not institutions. And that's what every child needs growing up, a place of refuge and security. You know, you you used to hear uh, about parents about couples 
staying together for the sake of their kids. And for many generations, when people stayed together for the sake of their kids, uh, that was considered an, an honor, a compliment. They're unselfish. They're mature. And today, people laugh at that statement. Staying together for the sake of the kids, what are you talking about? That you've got to do what's best for you. Really? Well, sometimes you've got to do what's best for the sake of someone who's much more vulnerable than you are. That's called maturity. That's called unselfishness. That's called love. And God created marriage for the connection of men and women, for the multiplication of human race. That's how we all got here. For the protection of children. And number four, this is a big one. God created marriage for the perfection of our character. And it's in relationships we learn to be unselfish. We learn to be loving. Uh, And no relationship has a greater impact on your life than marriage. Another fact about you when you were born. Not only were you totally helpless when you were born, you were completely self-centered. Nothing on planet Earth is more self-centered than a new baby. A baby does not even have the capacity to think about anyone else. All a baby can think about is himself, herself. I'm too hot. I'm too cold. I'm hungry. I need a nap. I've got to watch Curious George, and I've got to watch Curious George like right now. Maturity and the purpose of life is to grow up and realize it's not about you. In fact, real happiness comes in giving your life away and being unselfish and being serving and being, your, and being loving. And the goal of life is to grow from one extreme to the other. To grow from being totally self-centered as a baby, but to mature into an adult who is totally selfless. Do you know anyone who's still a baby? Yes. We all know people who they grew up physically, but they never matured out of that context, out of that perspective. And life is a laboratory of learning how to love. Why is love the most important thing? Because God is love, and God wants you to become like him. And he wants you to learn how to love. He wants you to learn how to be unselfish. Proverbs 18.1 says an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Boy, have I had some times in the last 10 years that I've gone against all sound judgment. Sometimes we'll be friendly to everybody else, everyone else except our spouse. And I've said things to my spouse that I I actually would never say to anyone else. And I've I've done things in my marriage just like, man, why did that come out in this context and here to that person? I I would never say that to anyone else. And marriage has grown my character. And it's revealed the things that are deep down inside me. And it's grown my character. And praise God, because I'm not taking my car or my career or my clothes to heaven. I'm taking my character. And if you're married, the number one tool that God uses in your life to build Christ-like character is your spouse. 
Oh no, yep, yep, it's the number one tool in your life. Because every day you get hundreds of opportunities to not think about you. And you get hundreds of opportunities where in those moments, in those weak moments, where you, you've served everyone else and you've worked all day. And it's opportunities that you're not hidden anymore and you're not concealed anymore and you're not an individual anymore. And it's, I've got to be a servant even in these moments, even in these hardest times. And you get opportunities to care about them. Maybe you say, but my spouse, my husband, my wife isn't even a Christian. They're not a follower of Jesus. They're not a believer. It doesn't matter. They don't have to be saved for God to use them as a tool for this. Listen, was Christ ever selfless for the sake of an unbeliever? Yes, all the time, all the time. And what's amazing about this is the more loving, the more giving, the more serving, the more sharing, the more mature, the more unselfish you become, the happier you are. You will never be happy in life if happiness is your number one goal in your life. Happiness is um, an elusive goal. It was, nev- it was never meant to be a goal. It's a carrot on a stick. And when you start caring for other people rather than your happiness, that's how you will be happy. Romans 12, 9 through 10 says, uh, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. And then it gives us four ways to love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring your spouse. And after a decade of marriage, I'm only beginning to know and to learn what it means to love a woman. I'm learning that love washes the dishes. I'm learning that love takes out the garbage. And some of you who have been married for decades would say, Rylan, that's only the beginning. Love cleans out a bedpan. Love knows what they're going to say before they say it. And has therefore decided to forgive them before they even say it. And some of you could teach us a lot about what it really means to love a man, what it really means to love a woman. And out of that love comes a connection and a companionship that gives you the strength and the stability to handle enormous amounts of stress. And when you know someone that well, and you're as committed to each other because of that reason, you are able to handle storms that you never thought imaginable. God made marriage for the connection of men and women, for the multiplication of the human race, for the protection of children, for the perfection of our character. And we'll do number five real quick here. God created marriage for the construction of society. Uh, Marriage is the fundamental building block of every community, of every state, of every nation, of every society, of every culture. Um, Marriage is the fundamental building block of, of, of a church. And if you know anything about history, you know that where marriages are strong, cultures and nations are strong, empires are strong, and you know that wherever uh, marriages and families are weak, and the view on marriage is weak, cultures and nations are in decline in every single way. And we know that when marriages are devalued, a nation is in decline. Proverbs 14.34, read read this out loud with me. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any 
people, and we're not exempt from that. Let's go to number six, and this is the most important reason of all. And and many of you have never even heard this reason for marriage, but it's the primary, the deepest, the most profound reason that God created marriage for the reflection of our union with Christ. Did you know that marriage is a metaphor? It's a symbol. It's a walking, living object lesson of how much God loves us and and how we are to be in relationship with him, how he is in relationship with us, and how he sees his relationship with you and I. Marriage is a model of a profound spiritual truth. Let me show you one of the deepest passages of scripture here, Ephesians 5. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Well, he sacrificed his life. He died for the church. He says, husbands, that's the way you're going to love your wife. You're going to die for your wife. That's the kind of love you are to have, sacrificial love, where her needs are so far before yours that you are a living sacrifice. Husband, love, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So the church is the bride, the church is a body. He's quoting this verse in Genesis, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Wait a minute, Paul. I thought you were talking about marriage here. I thought this was a lesson on marriage, husbands and wives. And he says, no, it's all a metaphor of our spiritual union with Christ and his love for his family, his body, his bride, the church. It's it's a symbol. It's It's a reflection. However, if you want to talk about marriage, let's talk about marriage. So each one of you should also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. This is the most profound meaning of marriage. Yes, there are some benefits of marriage that are obvious, they're quantifiable, like what it does for kids, what it does for women, what it does for men, but this is the most profound meaning of marriage. And it's not easy to grasp. But marriage is more. It's more than an event, it's more than a ceremony, It's more than exchanging vows. It's more than exchanging rings. It's more than a promise. It's more than a party. It's more than a honeymoon. It's more than living together. Uh, It's more than having sex. It's It's even more than sharing a life together. All those wonderful things are wonderful blessings of marriage, but marriage is even more than we've ever thought. Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant where two become one. Marriage isn't even about marriage. It's a temporary symbol of a great eternal reality. It's a picture of the covenant relationship that God has instituted between Jesus and his people. 
to where Paul would say in another letter that, that just like two, can, or two cannot, they become one and they cannot be separated, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Height nor depth, angels nor demons can do it. It's a symbol of, of this covenant relationship of how much God loves his people. And marriage is the most sacred of all things because it's the reflection of God's commitment to us. And I'm not going to mess with that symbol, with that metaphor. I'm not going to be the one to distort this symbol of how much God loves us and God loves his people. And no other relationship on planet earth, including the parent-child relationship, no other relationship can adequately illustrate our union with Christ the way marriage between a man and a woman does. And this is the strongest reason why we must fight for marriage. Because we are the bride of Christ in union with Christ. And marriage is a metaphor. So before we get to some practical parts next week, let us not labor in vain. Let's let the Lord build this amazing house. Let's let the Lord design and build the marriage. Because in order for marriage to work, in order for relationships to work, if you're taking notes, let the one who designed them define them. And what's amazing about this is, come on, in spite of all the public and political pressure Instinctively, we know on the inside, we recognize the beauty and the sweetness of one man and one woman committing to themselves, committing themselves to one another, becoming one flesh for life. We know it. Come on, you, you've all been at the, at the wedding reception where all the couples start dancing. And if you've been married one year or less, go sit down. If you've been married five years or less, go sit down. If you've been married 10 years or less, go, you don't know anything, go sit down. And it gets up to 50, 60, 70 years of marriage sometimes. And everyone in the room just stops and says, well, that's awesome. That's amazing. And we all say, I... I wish I had that. And the young people in the room say, I hope that's me someday. Because we all instinctively know on the inside, because we're created in God's image, we know deep down what it symbolizes. And we understand deep down what those marriages are a billboard for. And they're symbolizing and symboling to a creator who says, I love you. And nothing, nothing can separate us. You know, twice in the Bible, Jesus says that there is going to be no marriage in heaven. Huh? No marriage in heaven? Well, he knows more about heaven than we do. And why will there be no marriage in heaven? Because we're not going to need any of the six reasons why marriage exists. In a perfect place, we're not going to need 
uh, the multiplication of the human race. We're not going to need the protection of children. We're in a perfect place. We're not going to need the perfection of our character. We're not going to need the construction of society. Uh, We're not going to need the reflection of Christ's union. We, We won't need the metaphor. We won't need the symbols. We're going to experience the real thing in heaven. But here on earth, marriage matters. And the Bible says that here on earth, we're to honor it and to reap the benefits of it. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would give us a clear picture of marriage. Uh, Not an unrealistic, but a, a real picture of real men and real women who choose to enter deeply into each other's lives to allow themselves to know and be fully known. And from that union, God, would you produce a family and stability in our society and in our church. That our marriages would be wonderful reflections of your love for us. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. God, we thank you that Scripture says your love is wide and long and high and deep. And God, we just, we pray that where marriage has not been honored, we pray for the strength and and the humility to just throw ourselves on the grace of God. The love of God that's wide enough to be everywhere, it's long enough to last forever. It's deep enough to handle anything. It's high enough to cover our mistakes. Holy Spirit, would you just blow a warm fire of comfort and strength and peace and healing over broken hearts? God, we offer to you as a church our marriages, our relationships. May they bring you glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.